Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm the students pastor here. So, you know, the sixth grade dessert night thing, that's, that's me. Uh, and if you have a sixth grader uh, or someone who's going into sixth grade you know of, uh, tell them to come. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, and it should be pretty great. Uh, but uh, a little bit about myself, uh, for those who don't know, I'm the student's pastor. I've been here for almost three years, uh, married. Uh, we have two little girls, uh, and, you know, the summer's hot, and, uh, you know, no more vacations coming my way. Uh, it's time to grind, you know. So welcome uh, this morning. Uh, but a little bit uh, about uh, me and probably every single person in this room, no matter the age, is everybody's going to go through, and myself included, you go through like milestones in life, uh, you know, uh, you, you just have these, and maybe they're not milestones, they're just kind of like markers or they're, they're, they're situations or something happens and you realize life is different and it's changed and it's not going to be the same anymore. Um, you know, maybe for kids in the room, it's like I turned double digits, you know, now I just got to get to triple digits. And so uh, there's that kind of thing. You know, if it's like college graduate, you graduate college and you're like, oh, what am I going to do with the rest of my life now, you know, or, uh, you know, for me, I remember, uh, like, wedding, you get married, uh, and then that night you go to sleep, and uh, my girlfriend doesn't have to leave anymore. She gets to, like, stay, because she's my wife, and so then she stays, and then I remember waking up the next morning, and you're like, oh, in a great way. She's <laughs> in the back way, but you're like, life is different, you know, like, she's not leaving. You know, there she is. And it's great. But there's like, oh, I have this new sense of responsibility. My life has changed. Uh, same thing, same thing. Ten months, baby in the, in the womb. Life is good. I'm doing absolutely nothing, you know. And then baby comes out. Autumn comes out, firstborn. And all of a sudden, you're holding her in the hospital. And you're like, oh, this is different. This is new. This is a milestone in life. And we all have these moments where now, like, your life, it, it gets altered. And you actually have to, like, live in a different way so that you can live in accordance with this new thing that's happening. Right? Like, that's just how it works. And at, for us, if you follow it along in the text, when, when John says, you are children of God. And then he repeats it, and he's like, so we are. And then he says, and you're children of God now. It's like this milestone for everybody who comes to faith in Christ. There is this moment where when they come to faith in Christ, they're born again of the Spirit, and they become children of God. And this new role, this new identity, this monumental thing that happens in somebody's life now has this thing that you actually have to like live in accordance with. And today our, our, our title is Living as God's Children Now. And my hope is to give us some encouragements of, well, what can we do as God's children now? And how can we live as God's children now? But, but the reality is, is, you know, when something big like this happens, well, life changes. And so let's live in accordance with that new life that we have. And that's today's text. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I pray that today uh, you would speak. Uh, it's, there's a passage that talks about how we are not sufficient for these things. And when we speak of our position in Christ and our new position in your family and the love of the Father, uh, human words probably can't contain it. And so, Lord, would you go before us and uh, would you, by the power of your Spirit, um, teach us. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that you would be made much of uh, and that Christ would be honored. In his name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so take a look at your Bibles with me. Uh, The main idea today is this, is that the reality of Christ's second coming compels us to live out our identity as God's children. So the first encouragement for us uh, is this, is to abide in Christ for confidence. Take a look at verse 28. Verse 28 says this, And now, little children, abide in him. Uh, So, if you're new uh, this morning and this is your first time, we're in a series in 1 John, and, and John is the writer of the Gospel of John, and he's now writing to a church, and he's encouraging them to continue in the Lord. Uh, if you were here last week, there was uh, some people who were saying some uh, really bad things, and he's like, nope, abide in the anointing of the Spirit and abide in the truth that you heard. Abide, abide, abide. Abide, And then I love that he, the way this now new section starts, he says, and now little children uh, abide in Christ. You know, like he's like, I'm just going to keep repeating it and that's okay. But you know, like my kids like to ask the question of why, why should I abide? John actually gives us the answer and he says this, he says, abide in him. And then notice he says, so that... When we, or when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Uh, The purpose for abiding in Christ, the purpose for staying close to Christ, the purpose for continuing to believe in Christ is for the purpose of having confidence in the second coming of Jesus. Uh, The word that you see in your text there when it says that when he appears, uh, the word appears is only used in reference to Jesus's return. And he uses it again in verse two uh, in chapter three. He says, right, when he appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. John's uh, centering this conversation of who we are in Christ, of this identity of being children of God and how do we live now in that. He's centering it all around what is to come, which is Christ's return. You know, we don't think often about Christ's return in the creed, it just said, we all said it, we, we look forward to the coming of Christ. But the, the idea of confidence is an interesting one. And well, what is the confidence he's talking about? Uh, when I was a kid, it's probably actually true of me now, so you guys are going to get a little info about me. I mean, I have two parents. Uh, I love them very much. I'm very thankful for them. Uh, but I, I think as a kid, uh, some of my default mode, and maybe even as a 38-year-old man, is like, I'm going to do stuff so I don't get in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like as a kid, I'm like, I'm not going to do that because then I know there's going to be discipline headed my way uh, if I do that. You know, like I, there was an expectation that there was some form of discipline that would be enacted, like take my video games away, God forbid. You know, like that kind of stuff. And so I would just, my default mode was like to just not do stuff so I don't get in trouble. And so sometimes when we think about the second coming of Christ, it sometimes thinks in terms of that, like, oh, let's like just not do stuff so that we don't get in trouble when Jesus comes back. You know, parents are away. We'll do whatever. Oh, we got to clean our act up before he gets here. That's not what John's talking about. The confidence that he's talking about is actually a word that's often used in the Greek in terms of uh, somebody who speaks freely without the fear of punishment. It's like the majority of social media, you know? Like, I'm going to just speak freely without the fear of punishment. 
And so, so the confidence that he's talking about, abide in Christ for the purpose of, so that you can have confidence on the day of judgment. Because the confidence is not so much, John's not saying, I'm confident that Jesus is going to return. He's saying, I'm going, I'm encouraging you to stay close to Christ, to be abiding in him, because when he returns, he's going to bring judgment, both for the living and the dead, for Christians and non-Christians. He's going to bring judgment. There will be a judgment. And he's saying, abide in Christ so that you can have confidence in the judgment because there's not going to be fear of punishment, right? Like, as a kid, I didn't have this, like, uh, uh, like oh, nervous fear that, like, I do something wrong and my parents are going to kick me out of the house. Like, that's not, that was not it. It was just more like, I just didn't want to get in trouble. Why would John be saying the same thing over and over and abide in Christ? Why is he telling you and me to abide in Christ for confidence? He's telling us because if you have been walking with us through 1 John, he started off by saying, hey, when you know God, I am writing this so that you have fellowship with the Father and the Son. He then says that God is light and he says, walk in his light. And if you walk in his light, what does he say? The blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. He says, hey, don't forget you have an advocate. I'm writing so you don't sin, but you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, before the Father. And then he says this amazing thing, that he is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is this big word that means that Jesus went in our place on the cross and he bore the wrath of God towards our sin so that now we don't get wrath but we get God's grace and mercy and love and favor. And so John's writing to these people after they've been, you know, he's like, I'm writing so that you don't get deceived by all these people. And now kind of like a loving father or a loving coach, he's putting his arm around us and he's pointing us in the right direction. And he's saying, hey, let me just give you the play here. The play is stay close to Christ. He's the one who's paid your penalty for sin. Stay close to Christ. He's the one who's ruling and reigning at the, fa of the father's right hand. Hey, stay close to Christ. He is your life. You want to have confidence in the second coming? Stand and stay close to the one who paid the penalty for your sin. Stand and stay close to the one who you are covered in his blood and you are righteous as he is righteous. You have found life in him. Stay close to your life. We're often tossed to and fro by many distractions and we're just in need of this encouragement. Hey, abide in Christ. John Calvin says it this way. Uh, he says, For faith is not a naked and a frigid apprehension of Christ. He's just talking about, like, how, trusting in Christ is more than just, like, facts. And that frigid, like a cold knowledge of who Jesus is. He says, But it's a lively and real sense of Jesus' power which produces confidence. And it's such encouragement to us. Paul, John is saying, hey, abide in Christ because the confidence to stand on Judgment Day is not coming from inside of you. The confidence is not coming from the works that we have done. The confidence is not coming anywhere in here. The confidence, the fear or the absence of the fear of punishment is coming only from Christ because he's paid it and he's powerful enough to pay it and he's powerful enough to keep me standing on the Day of Judgment. And then John Calvin continues to say, Indeed, faith cannot stand while tossed daily by so many waves. And we get that. You know, it's just fancy words for saying that life hits us. Like daily life hits us. 
forgetfulness hits us. We wake up and the world outside and the sin on the inside and everything else in between tosses us to and fro. He's like, faith just can't stand when being tossed. He says, except it can stand when it looks to the coming of Christ. And supported by his power brings tranquility to the conscience. That when I look to the coming of Christ, when I look to what is ahead as a child of God, as he says, uh, I don't know what we're going to be in verse 2, but when he appears, we'll be like him. Right? I'm going to stay close to him so that I could get to know him. I'm going to stay close to the one who paid the penalty for my sin. I'm going to stay close to the one who I'm in living communion with by the power of his spirit. I'm going to stay close to him because actually as I think about his return, I just want more of him. And the closeness brings confidence because there's not fear of punishment. All kids are going to get disciplined. They don't like it. The Bible talks about it. God disciplines us because he loves us. But there's no fear of punishment. And John's saying, I want you to have no fear of punishment on the last day. I want you to stand in confidence. And the way you stand in confidence is you stay close to your Savior. You stay close to the one who paid the price for your sin, who bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And then John kind of continues, and he then says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so he starts to relate all of this, abiding in Christ and confidence, he starts to then relate it to this idea of being born of God. And it like triggers this response in him of worship. Verse three, or chapter three, verse one, I could just see it being this like, oh, I just said born of God, born of him. Oh, do you guys even know how amazing it is that you are children of God? And then he's just like, goes off on this tangent on the Father's love. And so uh, there's really only actually two commands or imperatives of things that we as the church should be doing uh, as we await the coming, uh, at least in this section. There's lots we could do. But, but in this section, the first command is to abide in Christ. So be abiding in Christ. And the second command is right here, is see. See what love the Father has. And so my encouragement to us today is let's spend some time remembering our identity as God's children. Um, some of you in the room are like introverts. I don't get that. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I like, I see a room of this many people. I'm like, oh, so many new friends. You know what I mean? Uh, but the, 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 the beginning is like, you got to ask all these questions. You're kind of like, hey, tell me about yourself hey, what do you like to do for fun? You know, hey, what do you, you know, what do you do for work? And really all we want to know is who the heck are you? You know, you just want to ask the question, who are you? Who am I? Right? Like, and that's really what you want to ask to somebody. And so here, here you go. Uh, who am I? I'm Josh Yasuda. And, and just by that, I have described myself by a name that was not given by me, but it was a name given to me by parents. And so you'd say, oh, he's got some parents who've given him a name. And then if I tell you, well, and I'm married to Rachel, right? Like, oh, well, he has a wife sitting back there. Her name's Rachel. So he's tied to this human for the rest of his time on this planet. And then I say, oh, well, and we're lucky we have two, two little girls. You know, their name's Autumn and Elliot. So you're like, oh, he's a dad. 
right? Like I'm describing myself and often most people, as you pay attention to how they describe themselves as you're getting to know them and meeting them, they describe themselves in terms of their relationships that they have with other people. They describe themselves in terms of their relationships, uh, whether it be to their work or to the different situations or the things they do. It's always in relationship to other things. And for the children of God, there is one relationship that shapes and is a milestone in your life that transforms your identity. And it is that God then brings you into relationship with himself by grace through faith in Christ. And he sets his love on you and you are now his kid. And it transforms you. It transforms your identity. And John's saying, hey, uh, let's remember this for a little bit. And so the command is to see, to look, to behold. Be beholding the amazing love of the Father. Take a look at verse 1 with me. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. As I was studying this week, um, uh, I was reading in a book uh, that I, I was told— when I, when I actually, in college, like, wanted to go to Bible study, there was, like, this shift where I actually wanted to go um, and spend time with Christians, and, like, I wanted them to pour into my life, and God was getting a hold of my life, and I was being discipled. Uh, I showed up, and people were like, hey, what books do you read? And I was like, weird question. Uh, I don't. I play video games, you know, and I do math. Uh, that's, like, my life. And so then, uh, you know, they were like, well, read these books. So, I, you know, they gave me two books. First book to read was Desiring God by John Piper. And then the second book was Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And so those were like the two books that uh, I was told to read. You should read them. Um, but I was reading in Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He has a chapter on being sons of God. And he talks about that the gospel, the foundation of the gospel, is that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That it's not our works, it's nothing that we've done, it is just God's unmerited favor, his love that he sets upon us to bring us to salvation by sending his son to die in our place for our sin and Christ rising from the dead on the third day, defeating death. That, he's like, that is the gospel. He's like, but the highest privilege of the gospel, the highest privilege is your adoption. And he says this, in the book, he says, were I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words, my proposal would be adoption through propitiation. And I do not expect ever to meet a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. He says that if he were going to describe the message of the New Testament, he says it's adoption through propitiation. John in the first chapter, is our, or in, second, in chapter 2, he says, hey, Jesus is the propitiation for your sin. There is no fear of punishment. He's borne the wrath of God so that you might be welcomed into God's family, that you might be reconciled to God. But it's not just like, hey, you're welcome to the party, the salvation party, but you got to hang off to the side. Like, it goes further than that, that the, the holy God, the God who is light, the God who is, uh, you know, eternal, who is omniscient, all-powerful, who needs nothing from us. John Calvin, later on in his commentary, he says, God loves us from above. We just don't need anything from him, or he doesn't need anything from us, yet he sets his love on us, and all of a sudden, right, he doesn't just make us part of the party, he makes us his kids. And as we looked at in Romans 8, we're co-heirs with Christ. That we are his, and we've been made his. 
maybe this morning, the one thing you just need to hear, you're like, I know I'm going to go to church. I know they're going to tell me that God loves me. But I'm just going to like tell you, John is talking about this amazing love that God has for his kids. And he's just telling us, see, keep seeing, keep remembering, keep looking at the Father's love. There, there's this amazing uh, word, is, is he's saying uh, what kind of love, or some of your texts might say what manner of love, or uh, you might have memorized it in a different way, but he's talking both about the amount of God's love for you, uh, it's undescribable, but then also the kind of God's love, the qualitative side of God's love, it is also something that is essentially foreign, right? Uh, the, the word kind of in old English would have been like, it's from another country, that God's love is not like our love. That when we think on how we love, oftentimes we're disappointed that we don't love very well. Our love can be transactional. Our love can be kind of fickle. You know, I like really love my wife. And then after that, it's a huge drop off. You know, like there's not, I'm not that great with everybody else. Like this, this idea of our love is like God's love is not true. God's love is otherworldly. The divine love that God has for you is amazing. And it's beautifully pictured in adoption. Some of you have been a part of adoptions. Some of you have experienced the blessing of adoption and the difficulty in adoption. But adoption in the Roman world wasn't like it is in our world today. Adoption in the Roman world would have been more like uh, meat. Uh, I have two daughters, so my name is not going to carry on. You know, Yasuda's done. Uh, and so it's going, going bye-bye. Uh, but somebody would have felt bad about that back then in the Roman Empire, and they would have, like, looked around at all the orphans, and they would have figured out who was going to be the best. And they would have adopted maybe an older kid who showed promise, had character, seemed like they would be well-to-do to carry on the name. Do you get what I'm saying? They showed this amazing promise, uh, and then they would adopt them when they were older. That's not the adoption process that many of us have come to be accustomed to. Uh, many of you are living out kind of the father's love type of adoption. Right? God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? This is how God manifests his love for us later on in 1 John, that he would send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God looks at us sinners and as weak as we are, helpless, bringing nothing to the table, anything, just our sin. And he says, I love you. I'm coming for you. And more than that, I'm going to save you and I'm going to make you my kid. And many of you who have experienced adoption and done that, it's in the image of the father's love. It's that kind of love that just looks at a kid and says, I love you and I'm going to make you my kid. You're going to get full benefits of this family. You're coming all the way in. You're here to stay. But who are the children of God? John says in 29 he, that you know, you're born of God. And what does that mean? Uh, I just feel like I should probably say it. In John chapter 1, in his gospel, he says this. He says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, that's just like ethnicity, nor of the will of the flesh, or nor of the will of man. So like, people aren't just making a decision like, ah, I'm going to be a child of God today. But it says, but they were born of 
God. So to all who did receive Christ, to all who put their faith in Christ, to, to every person who has said, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I'm trusting in your work, not mine. I am putting all my chips in that basket. That is who I'm putting my faith in. To all who put their faith in Christ, says Jesus gave us the right to become children of God. That we have full rights and benefits. Do you know who you are? If you're a Christian here today, do you know who you are? J.I. Packer in the same book, he says, he asked the question of the reader, he says, do I know my own real identity? Yeah, do you know your own real identity? He says, here's your real identity if you're in Christ. He says, I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother, and every Christian is my brother too. And he goes on to say, repeat that to yourself, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, while you're waiting for a ride, you know, all these other things, like repeat it. My kids and I, uh, we watched this kid's movie, and in the, the kid's movie, the main character, uh, he says, uh, he's talking to a bunch of kids, and he says, all right, everybody, listen up. This is really important. Listen up, because I'm only going to repeat this 10 more times. And I feel like God is such a good father to his children, and he's so patient with us. I feel like that's kind of like how uh, the, the Bible's written. So often, it's like, hey, stay close to Christ. Hey, stay close to him who is your life. Hey, he's really real. He really rose. He really loves you. He really died in your place, and he really wants relationship with you. Come close. And the Bible's continually saying it to us, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we like leave and we forget. So we just need constant reminders of who we really are. I don't normally do musical suggestions, uh, but I'm going to do one. Uh, so here you go. Uh, might be a new trend. Uh, but um, one day, it was around... Uh, Easter time, uh, my daughter and I, we have an Alexa, which is problematic, you know. Uh, kids just talk to Alexa a lot, uh, but they haven't figured out that I could just unplug it, uh, but it's fine. Uh, so we're talking, I, I said, Alexa, play a song. And it was me and my three-year-old were in the kitchen, and Alexa plays a song, and then the song's over, but then I like, kept playing songs like that one, and on came this song, and the chorus goes like this. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm just going to tell it to you. The song goes, I'm a child of the Most High God. And the Most High God's for me. It's who I am. And the song's Who I Am by Ben Fuller. Uh, I only know that song. Uh, so there you go. I, I don't know the rest. But uh, it's kind of got a groovy tune, and we liked it. And me and my three-year-old are dancing, and we're singing. I was like, play it again. And, you know, you're kind of doing that thing. And uh, then, like, the next day, uh, my daughter was like, we're in the van, and she asked me to play it again. And I played it, and we sang, and it was fun. And that was, like, basically every day for the next month, she asked me to play this song by Ben Fuller. You know, it's not just that one song. You can't play any other Ben Fuller songs. You got to play that song. And every day, I'm a child of the Most High God, and the Most High God's for me. You know, it's like continual. Every day, we're in the car, we're driving. Every day, continual reminder of who I am. If I profess Christ, if I am abiding close to the one who paid the penalty for my sin, it is this constant reminder that this three-year-old keeps making me have to listen to this song for the last six months, and everybody in my family knows the song by Ben Fuller, but it rings true. I am a child of the Most High God, and the Most High God's for me. It's who I am. 
And it would then make sense that after John has said, stay close to Christ, abide in him so that you can have confidence on the last day. Remember, he's the one who's paid the penalty for your sin. That he says, stay close to him and don't forget who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. God has set his otherworldly, amazing, unfathomable, consistent, faithful, relentless, pursuing love on you. And he has taken you from dead in sin to alive to God in Christ. He's taken you from uh, somebody on the outside and he's giving you full rights and benefits as a child in his family. So then the last encouragement is, and so now live out the family resemblance. You know, genetics are weird. I'm not a scientist. My wife is. Talk to her about science stuff. But I just know that there's like this fun game when like a baby pops out and you're like, oh, who do they look like? Do they look like mom or dad? You know, like in there, you're just like kind of pointing out like, oh, that's cute. That's cute. You know, and your own kids are like, oh, they have your eyes or oh, they have your hair. Or, you know, like all that game that everybody likes to play. You're like, oh, they look just like you. Like, no, they don't. They look like my wife, you know, like that kind of thing. And then like stuff happens and kids start acting crazy. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, they probably got that from the, from you not from me, you know, that kind of thing. Like, that's the, that's the game that starts playing after they're born. It's like, oh, that... But genetics are weird. Like, uh, even just in our own family, like, I probably act a lot more like, uh, you know, mannerisms and other things. Like, I have these uh, mannerisms probably like my mom, you know, talk a lot like, you know, her, or my, uh, my oldest is a lot like me, apparently, you know? Like, j- it's not just looks, but it becomes actions and personalities and other things that get passed on. And so it would make sense that those who are born of God, now he can call us to live out the family resemblance. That's where verse 29, when he says, if you know that Jesus is righteous, if you know that God's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. People who are passionate about doing good. People who are passionate about doing the right thing, of truth and living out truth. Oh, oh, yeah, they've been born of God. They start to live out the family resemblance. And in terms of of seeing Christ come again, look at verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That there's this continual uh, conformity into the image of Christ. That we are going to become more and more like Christ. And he's like, oh, but but we're going to be like him because we'll see him as he is. Uh, But we're not finished products, so we're not done yet. And then he says, verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him. So, So what is he saying, and thus hopes in him? It's like everyone who's setting his hope on the return of Christ, of the joy of seeing the salvation that Christ is going to bring, of everyone who's hidden their life in Christ, and they are now tied to him, and they are part of God's family. If your hope is in him, in his return, he's saying, oh, there's this purifying quality to that. Everyone who hopes in Christ, when that becomes the trajectory of my life, that that that's the thing I'm looking forward to, then in the present, as God's children, there's a purifying aspect that starts to happen. You know, I've never run a marathon or anything like that, but I assume you've got to make some good choices about what you eat and how you train to like get to the 26 miles. You know, you're going to say, well, I want to do this. I want to be a part of that. So I'm going to have to adjust my life. 
Well, the same is true of God's children. If our hope now is in what Christ brings in the second coming, if our hope is in seeing our Savior face to face and becoming like him as he is, then in the present, there's going to be some purifying to both our desires and our actions. That we are going to be about what our Father is about. Because we're in the family. And when you're a part of the family, this is what you do. You know, there's certain things that you all do in your families that it's because this is who we are. Well, if God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, if he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin, if he has now made us part of his family, well then it would make sense that he says, okay, come, come, call us up, call us out, live, live, live life differently, be righteous. Live purely. The purity is, is, is of living. And so there becomes this, both in my affections, uh, well, am I, am I seeking, and are, are my desires in line with the Lord's? And then also in action. Am I walking as Jesus walked, as G John already said in chapter 2? Am I making actual deliberate choices to conform and be like the family traits that I'm a part of? But before we kind of wrap up, I, I do want to kind of give a, a caution. Um, if you're not on social media, that's okay. It's probably better off that way. Uh, but I, I taught high school math for a long time, um, and I like math. And so my favorite, some of my favorite social media posts are the ones that put a math problem up there, and they're like, put your answer in the comments. And my favorite thing to do is to go to the comments and see how many people are wrong. You know, so basically you're just like, oh, you all stink at math, you know, should have listened to me, uh, you know, like that kind of thing. And so it's usually just like an easy math problem that deals with the order of operations. You know, can I get an amen, kids, you know, like, uh, but uh, it's like adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. And the reality is, is in the adding and subtracting, multiplying, and dividing, you have to do it in a certain way based off the problem. And if you don't do it in the right way, you get the wrong answer. The order matters. You know, you hear all us math teachers always saying. And, and actually, the way John's writing to us, we should make note. We should pay attention because the order matters. If you try to live as a child of God outside of the power of God in the spirit of God and your connection to Christ, then you will fail. Like, you're just not going to do it. But if our aim is in the right order to abide in Christ, to remember that I am in this unshakable foundation of the Father's love towards his people, that he is not going to cast us out, that there is no fear of punishment, that I receive grace and mercy and all of the eternal blessings that God has given to us in Christ, that that is the foundation that I'm acting out of, then I go live out a life of love and purpose and righteousness in freedom. Because I know who I am, who my father is, and who my brother is, but if I do it in the wrong order, then there's no foundation and there's this shakiness that comes with living out the Christian life. But John says to us, abide. Look at the Father's love and now go live. Live out the family resemblance for a world that desperately needs to know Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness towards us. I pray that uh, we would, 
remember our identity in Christ. And even as we sing and as we take communion and in the many ways, Lord, would by your grace and by the power of your spirit, would you just encourage our hearts, fan the flame of faith in us that we might see the amazing gospel truths that come to us by grace through faith in your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.